Well, good morning, Crossroads. It is good to be with you all today. Um, As you can tell, this weekend is student takeover, and uh, the awesome thing about what we get to do up here is our students get to lead us in worship as we worship the God of the universe. That's amazing. And uh, the fact that, that we get to do that in here, like sometimes I think we can feel a little disconnected sometimes over in student ministry. We, you know, we worship in there too. But sometimes when we're disconnected, it can almost feel like we're disconnected from God's church. And so the fact that we get to do that today is, is a true blessing. Um, in student ministry, we do a lot of different things. We, we do things like takeovers. Uh, we have small groups. We have our own teaching. Um, we play games together. We go see movies together, all kinds of stuff. But the truth is that, that without Jesus, all of that is pointless. See, today, I, I felt compelled as I continued in this, as we continue in this sermon, as I continue to study, that if we get into today's sermon, if we get into today's text and we miss Jesus, we've missed the point. And so the cool thing about this guy named Jesus is, is everything that he's teaching in here, he's already lived out. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. And so uh, my question of you as we, as we sit in here and hear the word of God is, is um, just simply this, that, that we would, would you with me, be ready to analyze your heart? Because what Jesus has to say to us today requires that of us, that we would be the types of people who examine our own heart, our desire, our motive, our will. See, the things that Jesus is gonna say to us today are sometimes really hard to hear, but here's the good news. You'll remember that Jesus is talking and there are three types of people listening. These people range from crowds, large crowds who have gathered, and these people have gathered perhaps because they've heard about the wonderful things that Jesus has done. They've heard about his healing. They've heard about these ways in which he's changed the community of Galilee. They've heard of this man, Jesus, and they're at least interested. Maybe some, they hear his teaching and they think, oh, I've never heard someone teach this way. This content seems different to me. And so they're attracted, they're interested, they're seeking this man named Jesus, but they don't know him yet. Maybe for others, they're there because Jesus, they heard about that time that Jesus gave a ton of people bread. And so they're like, hey, maybe he's gonna do that again. These crowds gather because Jesus is interesting to them. There's a second group, these these people called the Pharisees, these religious men, these men who on the surface and the exterior would look as though they served God with their lives. But the problem was, and we see Jesus say this many, many times, in their hearts, their devotion was not to God, but rather it was to themselves. And finally, there's a third group of people who are listening, but more so, more importantly, the people that Jesus is talking to are disciples followers of Jesus, people who would say, I know Jesus, and I deserve nothing from him because I deserve only, only God's wrath against me, and yet Jesus extends grace to me. These followers of Jesus are there. They're listening. They're hearing the words of Jesus. And so does my question of all of us today to assess our heart, to know who it is that we love, because these crowds, they're attracted to Jesus. These Pharisees, they're attracted to themselves. And these disciples, oh man, they're not just interested. They're sold out. They're not perfect or all of a sudden that they live out every kingdom value that Jesus is teaching. But they hear of Jesus' goodness and his grace and they've seen it extended to them in his life 
in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his sending of God's Holy Spirit to live inside their hearts. And so as we listen and we think on Jesus today, don't forget who Jesus is. Jesus is many things, but he's also a king, a king over a kingdom. And this kingdom in which he reigns, he reigns perfectly. I think we could all afford to see a perfect king, right? Someone who reigns a kingdom with, with, with humility and with servanthood, that's the kind of king that Jesus is. And all his kingdom values, everything that Jesus teaches, are perfect principles. More than that, they're perfect morals. More than that, they are the exact way to follow God and live life well. This king, this King Jesus, is the type of king who sees another kingdom. See, if you're a Pharisee or a crowd, a member of the crowd or or a disciple in this room, none of us, no matter your position, can forget that everyone before they are in Christ is formerly a part of a different kingdom, a kingdom that Jesus speaks against, a kingdom where people lust after one another, a people, a, a, a people group that, that treats one another poorly, that lies to one another, that gets angry one another, so much so that they murder one another in their hearts. See, before anyone is in Christ, that is who they are. And yet Jesus says, to those same people. He doesn't say, hey, this is my kingdom values, this is, this is what walking in my kingdom looks like. Live this way and then you're accepted. Rather, he says, you are accepted, now live as if you're accepted. He invites members who are actually the antithesis of his kingdom into his kingdom, then calls them to live life differently. As we step into Matthew chapter six, do not miss Jesus today. Because he is wonderful. He is a servant king, a humble king, a king who is willing to die for people who are against his kingdom. Let us be reminded of Jesus today. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you have our Bibles, it's page 811. We're going to read verse 1. Real quick, if if you don't have a Bible uh, at your home, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Take that home with you. We love the word of God here at Crossroads. And so uh, Jesus is all up in that book, so read about him because he's awesome, all right? So word of God in front of you, page 811, Matthew chapter six. We're gonna read verse one. Jesus says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. We're gonna stop there because Jesus really sets up the three next things he's gonna talk about. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Because Jesus understands that there is a tendency within every human being's heart. There is a tendency in our hearts to make someone other than Jesus our king. See, we all want to make someone king, and whether we admit it or not, oftentimes the person that we make king over our heart is ourselves. We've titled this sermon, Look at Me, because oftentimes in life, we all have a look at me tendency, right? Where the way in which we live is to impress other people. And Jesus right here uses the word hypocrite. And I think oftentimes we associate this word with the behavior of other people, right? We look over there and this person says, yes, I'm living my life a certain way. And then the next thing you know, they live their life a different way. What do we call them? A hypocrite. And yet, the the actions that Jesus is talking about here in these hypocrites, 
is not just their actions, but more importantly, their hearts. See, their hearts are for the seeking of pleasure and the seeking of people-pleasing. Their hearts say, look at me, instead of saying, look at the Father. As I think about this and think about just times in my life where I've seen this demonstrated, um, the biggest one that comes to mind is the gym. And my experience with the gym, it, there are two experiences that I have with the gym usually. Um, my time at Cedarville, if you don't know, I'm a recent Cedarville grad. Um, we have a gym, a, a rec place, and there's all kinds of stuff to do. So two reasons I would go to the gym. Number one was so that I could play ball with my boys, right? I would go there and we would play soccer or basketball, volleyball, tennis, whatever. And I was awful at most of them, but I went because I loved playing ball with my boys, even when they made fun of me. Second reason that I would go to the gym often was because on the way to the dining hall, you could cut through the gym so that you could get out of the cold because it was a warm place and then you could go eat, right? So those are my two usual experiences with the gym at Cedarville. I say all that because when you cut through the gym, you notice types of people. If you've ever been to the gym, which I hope you guys go because it's good for you. I'm not gonna do that, but I hope you do. Uh, the gym is, is there's types of people when you walk in the gym that you see. The first type is the people who've never really worked out before. And so they get there and they're, they're kind of nervous, right? They see all the machines and, and the, 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 I don't know, I don't, I don't go to the gym, so bench presses and stuff, right? And, and they see all these things and they're a little bit intimidated by them. They see the people that know how to do stuff, right? And they're intimidated by them. Three types of people. That first person, they go and they wanna work out. It's a good motive, right? They want to be healthy, but they're afraid. The second type of person is the person, they, they just walk in, they know they're gonna hit the treadmill, they're gonna drink some water, they're gonna hit the bench press, and then they're gonna leave, right? Their motive is to go and, and, and to be healthy, but I remember many, many times being at Cedarville, seeing the look at me guys. Those are the worst guys, all right? They're there because when they go there, they look impressive to people, right? Their, their motive for going to the gym is because people are gonna see them a certain way. Does anybody know the guys I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of guys like this at Cedarville. They wear the shirts that aren't really shirts. Like you have like, you know what I'm talking about? Like the cutoff where it cuts off here and then it cuts all the way down to that little like seam that comes down to the bottom of the shirt. And you, they're not wearing a shirt. Like all you can see is their abs and pecs and stuff, right? Because they're the look at me guys, right? If I insulted you, I apologize. I say all this because the purpose to go to the gym should not be that we say, hey everybody, look at me, right? Rather, it's probably a good thing to go work out and be healthy right? You see what I'm saying? Well, the point is, Jesus here is going to talk about things that we often associate as spiritual things, because they are, but the problem is we often make them unspiritual, because our motivation and our heart behind doing them often gets really, really tainted. See, people who are of a former kingdom often want to revert back to that same kingdom where they make themselves king. And yet, it should be true of us as followers of Jesus, disciples, people who love him, that instead of making ourselves king and saying, hey, everybody, look at me, we say, no, I look at the Father. He is my motivation for the way that I live. Everybody else look at him too. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six and verse two. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in 
secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, there's an understanding here by Jesus that when we give, we should be giving right-heartedly. We should have an attitude of right-hearted giving. The way in which we give should reflect our love and devotion to God rather than our attention that we seek for ourselves. And see, Jesus knows this about us. He knows that we are prone not to be right-hearted givers, but rather to seek the praise and the attention of other people. And let me tell you, going to, uh, growing up in church and then going to a Christian high school and a Christian university, people easily fall into this trap. I've done it. I've fallen into the trap of doing things out of compulsion and the way that people are going to see me rather than by knowing God already sees me a certain way and therefore because of the way he has loved me, I'm going to love him. An example of this, I remember once again at Cedarville, we would have speakers come in and um, oftentimes these speakers would, they would have like a good, a good ministry that they did. Maybe it was a missions organization or like an adopt a child kind of a thing or um, even some kind of anti-abortion, some kind of hope-filled um, organization that they worked for. And so similar to church, there would be like an offering time, right? Now, we're poor college students, and don't let a college student fool you. They have a little bit more money than they will lead on, but they also don't have a lot of money, all right? And so there would be this, these people that walk through the aisles, right, where we've heard this wonderful story about these kids they're helping in Africa or, or these people who are going to be adopted, from really broken homes and broken situations, right? And, and there's something that comes into your mind when you see, like, hopeless people. You want to be generous. Because as followers of Jesus, we are called to live generously. We see the needs of others, and we love them by demonstrating something, even through a financial giving. But the problem is, sometimes when they begin to pass that plate, you look at the people around you, and you wonder, what are they going to think of me based on what I do? Are they going to look at me different because I put nothing in the plate? Are they going to look at me differently because I put in a certain amount? And we begin to contemplate in our minds and more importantly in our hearts what the perception of others is going to be. See, we have a look at me tendency. And yet Jesus, what he's calling us to do here is when we give, he doesn't say if you give. When you give, understand that you do it right-heartedly. See, right-hearted givers seek to please the Father. If we want to give right-heartedly, our motivation isn't to please ourselves or other people. Rather, it is to please the Father and make his name famous above our own. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter, chapter 6 and verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Can you imagine someone walking out those back doors there, and, and as they throw in a check or cash into the mailbox, they do a little burp, 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 you know, like some kind of like trumpet sound before, before they reach the mailbox just to say, hey, everybody, look, I just put money in the mailbox. I'm giving to this church, right? And we think, oh, Jesus, that's kind of ridiculous. Nobody does that. And yet what we have to understand is that Jesus is trying to get to the core of our heart where we realize and begin to assess, okay, this action that I've just done, the reason that I gave to this homeless man on the street, was it to impress him? Was it to impress the people that were around me? Did I walk out of this church building and give to this church because I want to impress some kind of staff members, right? The people in my ministry don't impress me with money because they don't give any. They're students, right? I'm not impressed by your money. I'm not impressed by anything, and I shouldn't be. And yet we fall into a tendency where we are impressed by these things that are, we are called to do as Christians, like give. 
And Jesus says here, he says for us as, as followers of Jesus, as people who want to be devoted to him, when we give, let it not be to seek the attention of others, but rather because of the generosity God has extended in us, we should be generous. Not motivated by some self-seeking, people-pleasing, illy-motivated desire, but simply because we love the Father. Jesus then says this. He moves on. Verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We're going to stop right there. Because once again, Jesus is targeting something that we're all called to do. To have communion with the Father. And yet, once again, this is something that we often taint. This is often something that we make to be something that it was never supposed to be. We can think, oh, Jesus, like, I don't pray to impress people. I don't, I, don't, I don't practice spiritual disciplines so that people see me a different way. And so we have to ask the question, wait, do we? When I, when I engage my relationship with God, when I adore him and worship, is it really about worshiping him or worshiping me? Does it bring attention to me or does it bring attention to the Father? Is my gaze set on him or is it set on myself? We have to ask this question. And I'm going to use a third Cedarville example because I think it's funny that these things come up when you get in Christian community because it's super wonderful, but it's also prone to flaws. And I remember there would be times where you walk across campus or you go through a building and you see these people who they've got their Bible, right, with, with like every verse highlighted and everything like circled and underlined. And then next to the Bible, they've got like their six or eight commentaries. And then over here, they've got 18 highlighters, right? And now, if I walk past, my job is not to assess their motive. Maybe they're doing some kind of awesome in-depth Bible study that I'm unfamiliar with. But at the same time, for us, if that were me and I inserted myself in the situation, I would want to ask of myself, what's my motive in doing that? Do I want to look like I'm a super godly man so that when that girl walks in the door, she's like, dang, this dude reads commentaries? What? Right? So she's impressed by me? Because it happens, and it's a trap. And yet we often think, oh, that happens to other people. And yet what Jesus is trying to show us is, even in something like prayer, where we are supposed to talk to the God of the universe who has talked to us, we're called not to do it to impress people or to draw attention to ourselves, but rather to draw attention to the Father. Not just other people's, but our own. Verse seven, Jesus says this. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father 
forgive your trespasses. As we insert ourselves into what Jesus is talking about here, there's a couple things. First, these Gentiles that Jesus is talking about often would think that the God of the universe hears them because they impress him. They would heap up these empty phrases, these words, many words to sound impressive as if God is going to hear them. And yet, what Jesus comfort to us, if you were a follower of Christ, is simply this. Your father already hears you. We don't need to impress him. We don't have to come before him and say, God, look at all these wonderful things I've done. No, we have Jesus who sits at the right hand of the father who intercedes on our behalf. We don't have to come to him and impress him. That's not what prayer is about. Rather, prayer is about this relationship that we get to have with the God of the universe, the one who has spoken to us and we get to speak to. And then Jesus begins to teach us how to pray. Because if we wanna talk about right-hearted prayer, uh, it's important that we understand how to pray well. And Jesus doesn't leave us without an example or a way in which we do this, but rather a model that we can follow when we approach God in prayer to be the types of people who say, God, I don't seek my own praise. I don't wanna seek lifting up myself in front of other people, but rather I wanna seek you. See, oftentimes when we pray to God, we have a habit of seeking his blessing in, instead of seeking him. Sometimes we have a habit of seeking his hand instead of seeking his face. See, it's important for us, and this is what Jesus exposes us to by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is that right-hearted prayer seeks to bring glory to the Father. When we pray, it's important for us as followers of Jesus that God would be our utmost and our highest and our deepest affection. See, when we pray, we often try to make it about us, and yet what God, what Jesus, God in the flesh is trying to show us is that when we pray, as right-hearted prayers, we need to seek the Father because he is the one who has sent his son to live out everything that Jesus is talking about here. He descended from heaven, lived a perfect life, and yet died a sinner's death and rose again victorious so that death would be arrested. It's kind of Jesus that is talking to us right here, and yet what his call for us when we pray, the first thing, is that we would be the types of people who seek God and not ourselves. We don't seek to please us, but rather because God has already accepted us, we pray as those who are accepted. Because God has already made our relationship right with him, we need to live like we're in right relationship. We need to love him. When we pray as, as right-hearted prayers, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Seek the Father. Seek this God who has extended grace to us. Second thing that we should do as right-hearted prayers. Right-hearted prayer seeks his kingdom. It seeks God's kingdom. See, oftentimes we try to drum up and dream up and create kingdoms for ourselves. Ones where we become the king. Ones where everything that's around us is supposed to please us. Supposed to meet our standards. And yet what Jesus calls us to do here, instead of seeking our kingdom or some other person's kingdom, we're to seek his kingdom. Because the awesome thing about Jesus' kingdom is we know what type of king he is. He's one that serves with humility his own people. He's one who, who heals people. He's one who extends forgiveness to people. And the way in which he calls people to live in his kingdom is with perfect love, with perfect unity, without adultery and lust, without anger, without taking take, like promises and lying to one another. No, in Jesus' kingdom, 
the one that we're seeking. We seek that his kingdom would come here and now because it's coming in the future. We should be the types of people who ask God, God, let your kingdom come so that the people around me would see you more clearly. Thirdly, Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the third thing we need to do when we approach God in prayer. It's very important. Not necessarily every time we pray, but it's very important. We seek his provision. See, right-hearted prayer seeks God's provision because oftentimes we think that we're self-made people. It's kind of an American idea, right? Where we've pulled ourselves up from our bootstraps and say, hey, this world that I've created around me, this job that I have, this house that I have, these friends that I have, this family that I have, all these things that are in my kingdom, I've created it for myself. And yet what we need to realize is that Jesus here is calling us to do something that's kind of crazy. He's telling us to seek the provision of something daily, which is to remind us that these things that we think we've created for ourselves, this world that we live in, that we think, yeah, I've made this up myself. No, what we have to realize is these blessings in life that we have are not things that we've come up with ourselves, but rather are gifts that God has given us to bring glory to him and to bring his kingdom. That's amazing, because God lets us be a part of that, and yet here he, he calls us to seek his provision, not thinking that we provide for everything ourselves, but realizing that everything that we have is from the Father of lights. Fourth thing that Jesus calls us to do, he says this in this prayer in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and this plays into 14 and 15, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, this is the, the fourth thing that Jesus exposes us to in his prayer that he teaches us to pray. We seek the Father, we seek his kingdom, we seek his provision, but finally, or fourthly, excuse me, we seek his forgiveness. Because a lot of times I think when we pray as followers of Jesus who are members of his kingdom, we look and we think, yes, I remember what Jesus did for me and everything's taken care of. That is absolutely true. Nothing that we do, not, not, no evil thing, no wrong thing, no, no ill-hearted thing that we've ever done is forgiven by anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet as followers of Jesus, we know that we are prone to live in that old kingdom that former kingdom, that kingdom that does not line up with Jesus's kingdom. And he calls us here to seek forgiveness because we need to be the types of people who are repentant, who we see, God, I know that the way in which that I've been living doesn't line up with you, with seeking you, or with seeking your kingdom. And therefore, God, I repent. I turn from this, this former way, this, this way that I used to live that doesn't line up with your kingdom, that in fact lines up with my own. And Jesus, instead, I seek forgiveness from you so that I might be able to forgive. This is what leads us to our last thing that Jesus talks about, and that's seeking his holiness. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, we are prone to be the types of people who don't forgive others. We are prone to be the types of people who lust after others. We are prone to be the types of people who get angry with each other. And yet, what Jesus counsels us to do as we approach the Father, as we seek his kingdom, as we seek his provision, as we seek his forgiveness, is to seek his holiness. We would ask God to be the, 
the God who, who lives inside our hearts, the Holy Spirit lives inside of our hearts, calling us to flee from temptation. And so oftentimes we think, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight temptation. I'm going to run from it. I'm going to run from sin. I'm going to flee evil. And yet what God's saying is depend on me in that. Seek my holiness in order to be made more holy. Sanctification, where you become more like Jesus. Not to impress God or be accepted by God, but because you're already accepted by him. See, Jesus tells us and shares with us that as we desire to follow him, it's important that we seek his holiness and pray for that. A good prayer before God is, God, help me, keep me from sin. We'll move on. As Jesus uh, continues, as if we haven't got the idea, because often we don't, he mentions a third thing, a third spiritual discipline that we often forget about and don't think about. He says this in verse 16. He talked about right-hearted giving, right-hearted prayer. Finally, he talks about right-hearted fasting, and he says this in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here we see Jesus once again mention a spiritual practice, something that maybe many of us are unfamiliar with, called fasting. And when Jesus uses this illustration about, about the hypo these hypocrites, they're like making their faces look a certain way so that they get attention from other people, I kind of thought of a baby, right? Babies are awesome because they're super cute and if you make <laughs> sounds like they laugh, like no matter what, it's awesome. But the other thing about babies is that we know from, like, from birth that babies let you know what's going on by the way they express things, right? So if a baby's hungry, you're gonna know about it. If a baby's got a, a bad diaper, that's, you're going to know about it, right? It, I haven't had a baby, but I've seen babies. And the way in which they express, even with just their faces, you know exactly what's going on, right? Jesus here calls us to do something different. Not to be the types of people who, who look a certain way on the exterior to show our inward holiness, but rather to be the types of people who understand we are so prone to get people to look at us that instead, we want to look at the Father. And the reason we fast isn't to impress people. Rather, many, many times we see in the Old Testament people fasting, and we can ask the question, why? The point is that people fasted many, many times because they desired that God would act. Because they're feeling broken. They recognize their own sin. They recognize the corruption that lives in their world. These, these people of Israel saw these broken times in, in the life of the Israelites, and they would... They just wanted to express dependence on God. See, when we fast from something, it becomes obvious to us what we're missing, doesn't it? If you're, if you're fasting, you're pretty conscious of that, especially when it comes to food, right? If you fast from food, you know you haven't eaten because your body tells you. But the cool thing about what fasting does is it reminds us of why we do it. To express this, this thing that we often crave, this thing that satisfies us, Instead, we say, no, I'm dependent on the God of the universe instead of dependent on some kind of exterior thing. And Jesus here mentions fasting because he knows the proneness of our hearts. He knows our tendency to say, look at me. And rather what he's saying is when we fast, right, we're giving a, an opportunity here at Crossroads for 21 days of prayer and fasting. It begins tonight. 
It's an opportunity for us to, to understand prayer better and what our relationship with God looks like when we talk to him. It's an opportunity for us to understand fasting better and what our relationship with him looks like when we do that. But if we walk out these doors and we pick up a book so that people see us a certain way, we've missed the point, haven't we? See, Jesus is trying to expose us to this thing in us that often seeks the reward of other people rather than God's reward, which brings us to our final point. In 7, seven through 11, we're gonna skip ahead here. Sorry, uh, I think I skipped a blank. So if you're one of those people that uh, loves blanks, I'll go ahead and throw that up there for you. Right-hearted fasting demonstrates humility before the Father because if there's something that demonstrates humility before God, it's dependence upon him. Dependence upon him. Move on to Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through 11. Flip the page to page 812 if you have our Bibles. Jesus says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We're gonna stop there. Because we can get to a passage like this and think, ooh, yes, the reward part. It came up in all these verses before, the stuff that's gonna please me. And yet if we know anything about right-hearted giving and right-hearted prayer and right-hearted fasting, it's not about us, rather it's about God. And so what we have to realize is what Jesus is trying to say here is once again, look at the Father. Because when we look to the Father, our desires align with his blessings. He's gonna demonstrate that in verse 10, but, but don't miss that. Because the awesome thing about what God does when we become right-hearted in seeking him and his kingdom and his provision and his forgiveness and his holiness is that he makes us into the type of people that seek his desires, his blessings. Not the things that we think are gonna please our kingdom and our world, but rather the ones that please his. See, when we align our desires, when we look to the Father, our desires align with his blessings. Verse 10. Jesus says this, chapter seven. Or which one of you, verse nine, excuse me, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, if we see the illustration that Jesus uses, he, he demonstrates that there's, imagine a father or mother who has a child. And if that child comes up to them and asks for a piece of bread, that parent knows to give them a piece of bread. They don't give them a rock. If that child comes up and asks for a piece of fish, right, they don't give them a snake that's gonna bite them. And so we can think, what, Jesus, are you talking about? Firstly, he's trying to reveal to us is that God is the kind of father that gives us the things that we're supposed to get, not the things that we necessarily want sometimes, right? Imagine a kid comes up and asks you for candy and they haven't had dinner. If you're a parent in the room, what are you gonna do? Make them eat dinner, right? I hope, right? Is that what parents do still? Mom, my mom's here, by the way. Yeah, that's what parents do, right? Yeah, they know the good things to give to their children. The same is true and more so of God. Because what God understands about us, sometimes we try to live in our old kingdom, is that we seek stones and serpents, we just don't realize it. These stones and serpents that Jesus is talking about are those things that begin to be idols for us. And so we can get to a passage where Jesus says, ask and seek and knock, and you're gonna get it, and we can think, oh, awesome, that means that I'm gonna get the things that I want rather 
God has changed our desires in such a way when we seek him, when we are right-hearted, when we love him above all other loves, that we begin to love the things that he loves. We begin to want the things that God wants us to want. Now, that's a lot. But for us, what we have to understand, in God giving us the things that we think we want, it's gonna be a stone or a snake. It's gonna be something that we shouldn't want. Oftentimes, we crave things that aren't gonna grow us in our walk with him. Rather, we crave things that are gonna be idols for us. And the good thing about God is that he begins to change our desires, the things we want, and he makes the things that we want into the things he wants. He changes the things that we want. Because of our love for him and our devotion to him, he begins to change the things that we love, the things that we're devoted to. And what we understand about this Jesus that we've been talking about, don't miss him today. Because if we walk out of this room and we miss the God, man, who is preaching this sermon, we've missed the point. See, as we come to a close in, in, in this Sermon on the Mount within the next couple weeks and we miss Jesus, we've missed the point. Don't miss Jesus. The awesome thing about Jesus is that his desires always line up with the Father's. See, Jesus didn't have some kind of impressive life while he was on, here on earth. In fact, he had a pretty humble one. It doesn't mean that, that if Jesus had had everything that he ever wanted in his flesh, or in his, in his human form, that life would have been bad. However, his goal, his aim was always to please the Father. See, Jesus is God in the flesh, but we can't miss out on the fact that he's also fully human. And he teaches us exactly what it looks like to be human and live life God's way. And the cool thing about what God does in us by his Holy Spirit being inside of us when we're in Christ is that he begins to make us into the people who want the things that he wants us to want. As we love Jesus in this room today, as we seek to look to the Father, as we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside our hearts, let us be the type of people who desire and therefore ask the things that we know are God's blessings and not the ones that are going to change our kingdom. Let us be the type of people who give right-heartedly, who pray right-heartedly, who fast right-heartedly, because we seek the Father, because we love Him and we are devoted to Him rather than to ourselves and the, the kingdoms that we often try to dream up. Pray with me. God the Father, um, we approach you in the name of Jesus Christ, who sits at your right hand, who intercedes on our behalf, who teaches us here in Matthew chapter 6 that when we pray, let us seek you. God, let us seek you. Let us seek you. Let us seek your kingdom, that we would be the types of people who want to see your kingdom come and not our own. God, us, let, God let us seek your provision that we would be the type of people who understand and know that, that everything that we think we, we bless, on, bless for ourselves are actually blessings from you. God, let us, let us be repentant and seek your forgiveness that we would say, God, there are many times in my life where I try to make an idol of something, where I try to dream up kingdoms for myself. Finally, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that we would seek your holiness comes only from you, that we might be the types of people who, who recognize that we have been forgiven by a holy God, we are prone to sin, 
And yet, as we look at you, Father, we can begin to live life your way. We pray all this in your name. Amen.